we're reading from Romans, so you might want to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app to Romans 6 and starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Hallelujah. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourselves to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under law, but under grace. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Joanna. Good evening, everybody. And a very happy Easter to you. And as Joanna said, I hope you've had an amazing day today. And I hope that what I share with you tonight is going to make you think that today is going to, well, the rest of this week may even get even better. Um, so this, evening, this evening service, we can reflect on that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day that we celebrate today, he rose again. Um, and I don't know what you think about when you think about dead or alive. Obviously, Joanna thinks about this 80s band that, I'll be honest, never heard of it. Um, never, I'm too young. Um, Anyway, or maybe for you, it makes you think of something like this. Um, you know, wanted, dead or alive. I nearly put Joanna's picture up there, actually, but I thought if I do that, I'll be the one who's going to get hunted down. Um, but the question for the world today, is Jesus dead or alive? Is he even actually wanted? Well, according to a recent survey, um, Talking Jesus... 
it shows, and they've just redone it this last year or so, um, so they've called it Talking Jesus 2, a very catchy title for a second survey. It shows that 45% of the population still believe in the resurrection of Jesus, with some believing more strongly and clearly than others, but it's nearly half the population ticking the box on the survey to say they believe. But I guess for me, the next question would be, is what difference does it make to your life on a day-by-day basis? Because it's one thing to say, yes, I believe in something. It's another thing to live your life out based upon that belief. I'm sure many of you know that that Jesus' spectacular story, the prodigal son, This man has two sons. The younger son twists his father's arm to give him his share of the inheritance, basically saying to his father, I wish you were dead because what I would receive when you die, I want it now. I want to go and live my life. I want want freedom. I want to do what I want to do. He goes off and he spends it all in wild living and then he realizes it's all run out. The friends that he's made when he had all this money, nowhere to be seen. A famine hits the country that he's in and he ends up feeding pigs. The worst possible job he could have found. And realizes, do you know what? Even the servants in my father's house live better than this. I'll go back. I'll go back to him as a servant. He thinks he's going to be heading back in utter disgrace. He's wished his father was basically dead. He's taken the inheritance that was his and he's blown it. To his amazement, his father, while while he's a long way off, comes running out towards him and he hugs him and he puts his ring and his cloak upon him and he throws a huge party in his honor. He welcomes him back as a son even though his brother grumbles, but his father said, he was dead, but he is now alive, and that's worth celebrating. Now, let's tonight take that story a little bit further and imagine, imagine it's two or three years down the line, and imagine a thought creeps back into the younger son's mind, because once again, Life's got a little bit samey-samey, a bit humdrum, back to the old routine as it was before. The older brother, okay, he tolerates him, more or less. His father's getting a lot older. And as he's doing his work around the estate, he remembers with a joy that moment where he came up the road and his father came running to greet him and hugged him and embraced him and threw an ima- a huge party for him. And he thinks, hmm, supposing I did it again, why not help myself to what's left? Remember, he's already squandered his half. But what if I just, just have enough to survive, to run off again, and then to come back with deep sorrow? Maybe, just maybe, I might get another huge party. Is that absurd? Is that unthinkable? Don't you believe it? It's what a great many people think. 
that even if I go completely off the rails, God will forgive me because that's what his job is. God is all about forgiveness. That's what Easter's about, isn't it? Jesus died for us so that we might know forgiveness, so that we can come back into a right relationship with God. At the end of chapter 5 in Romans, Paul says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And he poses one of those questions that his adversaries often raised against him. I mean, come on, Paul, without rules and regulations, people will run amok. They'll just do what they want to do, knowing that one day they can just come back and make it all right with God again. Or maybe we should actually just, like the prodigal son might have thought, well, I'll just come back again and and be forgiven again and it'll be like another massive party. Aren't we just giving God more opportunity to be more gracious and more generous towards us if we just go off and do things our way and then come back for forgiveness? And people around Paul would often say, what then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may actually abound? That the grace of God may have more opportunities to actually be lived out? Well, the beauty of this is that, and I want you to know this tonight, is that however dark or deep or wide or high you feel separated from God, greater still is the grace of God for you tonight that God has for you. There is no measure to the amount of grace that God has for you. Isn't that amazing? That through Jesus, he has done it all and more. It is limitless. Yet Paul anticipates that there will always be the wise guy in the crowd who will say, so, let me get this straight. So when I sin a lot, I get grace a lot. Well then, let's sin a lot so that the grace that I get may be even more. And verse 2 of this, of this passage that Joanna read to us comes back with a resounding, by no means. Now depending on your translation, in some translations it actually has the words, God forbid, or of course not, or may it never be, or my translation is, Are you absolutely, completely nuts? That's why I'm not a Bible translator. How can we, who have died to sin, go on living in it? And what Paul often does is he creates this parallel with the people of Israel being freed from slavery and then walking out into the wilderness and actually getting to the point where they're grumbling and they're moaning because the hardship they're facing now, they're saying, actually, when we're in slavery, it was a whole lot better. We got fruit, we got watermelon, we got pineapple, we got all this stuff. When in reality, no, they didn't. But what the way they're seeing it is, what we had back there, the way our life was, was way better than what we've got now. And in many ways, they were crying out to go back to slavery. But what Paul shows us is that we have died to sin. I wonder tonight how many of you feel like you have completely died to sin, that you live a completely sinless life. Anyone? No. 
Me neither. Even as a pastor in the Free Methodist Church, I can't say I live a sinless life. So how do we die to sin? What does Paul actually mean? And he uses baptism to explain our death. He paints this picture. Now, you've got to understand where Paul's coming from in baptism. For him, a baptism is what we would call a believer's baptism. Is that once you've made that commitment to Christ, symbolically but also spiritually, you get baptized to to put to death your old self. So before our baptism, there's this old self that is enslaved to sin and to death. So that as we are baptized, we are putting to death that old life. And Jesus conquered this power when he died on the cross. And we have now been united with Christ in his death. But also, for Paul, he's saying we are united with him in his resurrection. We have been raised to walk in the newness of life that Jesus has won for us through his death and his resurrection. He sees baptism as the practical, the spiritual, and the physical beginning of a new life in Christ. It's a change of status. We are now in Christ if we've accepted all that he's done for us at this Easter time. That it's by God's grace he has rescued us and he takes us somewhere else. He gives us a new identity, a new location, a new status in him. Now, baptism is a one-time thing, but in another way, daily, it's a practice for each and every one of us of dying to the old self and living in the power of Jesus' resurrection. I loved it when Joanna was saying, you know, let's not just get excited about Easter for today and the resurrection. It's something we should be doing every single day. Getting up in the morning and maybe as part of your routine saying, I'm dying to myself and I'm wanting to live in Christ. I am made new in him. So rather than the old and new self, we can also talk about the false and the true self. Because there's a lot of talk about these days about what is your true identity or your true self. The true self is who God has created you to be. Each and every one of us is made in the image of God. With all our gifts and this inherent image and likeness of God. That is who we really are. Are. Yet as we grow, we wrestle with a messed up society and we construct often this false self in order to survive in this crazy, mixed up world. And so there you see some basic four ways that our false self can develop. We can develop a self importance and can often develop amongst those of us who have been born into privilege or have worked hard and come into privilege. Where we can say, because I'm worth it. But that's not where we actually get our true value. But then also there's self-protection. Which is often the natural result of fear and doubt. 
We know that other people can be dangerous. They can harm us emotionally or even physically. So we are willing to take any measure of, that's necessary to protect what we believe we deserve. Then on the flip side, this may be for you tonight, self-loathing. Where actually you're told you're worthless. You'll never amount to, nothing, to anything. You're even a mistake. You're not, you'll never amount to anything. And sadly, this can often be experienced as a result of religion. And then finally, there's self-indulgence. And sometimes this is a self-medication to escape self-loathing. Other times it's the result of self-importance and we gorge ourselves on luxuries to help us feel better about ourselves. But if we understand where our true self really lies, where our foundation really is, that it is in Christ, none of those should actually have any place in who we are. But let's just pause for a moment. Is there a version of the false self that is alive and well in you today? Is there something on that list or maybe something else of what I've just said that actually rings true for you? Because Jesus makes it pretty tough at times for those who want to follow him. And when there was a crowd following him and they're all saying, we want to be your disciples, in Luke 9, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. When Jesus says, take up your cross every day, he's telling each of us to consider ourselves dying to live. Each day we're to accept the sentence of death of self. Every dark, shameful, unholy thing, every thought, every purpose that goes against God, every way of living out that, that our flesh can come up with, including every omitted good deed that we fail to accomplish. But we're to die to that. We're, dead to, we're to be dead to the things that would cause separation between us and our loving, caring, and good and compassionate God. In fact, I think there's things that we should love to be dead to. And we're invited to die to this false self, that we can walk in our true self, the self that is completely dependent only on the love of God and his plans and his purposes for us so that we can get to a place where we can say for ourselves, I am alive in Christ. Because what is true of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, can be true of us. And as Paul says, as as we are partakers of his death, we shall also be partakers of his resurrection life so that we end up having a new nature in us because we are in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. See, the problem is, though, that the new nature is still housed in the old tent. And as my children will tell me, this tent is getting older day by day. And we can still yearn for the things of the world and of the flesh. We are new creations living in the old world. So of course, every single day, every single one of us will face temptations. But see what it says in Romans 6, 6 that Joanna read out. That that, that we might live, that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We really need to understand this, that in Christ, sin has been done away with. The slate has been wiped clean. What I found really powerful when we did the Good Friday service, and even now, and you can see some of them down there, and if you weren't there, I'll just quickly explain. The whole theme of the service was goodbye. What are we saying goodbye, or who or what are we saying goodbye to? And there may be things in your life that you just keep coming back to. You keep doing the same old habits, the same things that you know time and time again have a control and a grip on you. And we ask people to write them down. And at one point in the service, Sue and I had the the powerful privilege. We had paid stamps that had red ink. And we went and we stamped every single one of them. We didn't read any of them. We didn't need to. It was what was happening between you there and, and, and God. And then we placed them at the foot of the cross. How powerful is that? And I think the problem for, for me, and I'm sure it is for you, is there are those moments where I know Jesus has done it all, but I go back and I pick it up again and think, well, it's going to get me through today. And then it's going to get me through. I'll give it up tomorrow. I'll stop doing it the next day. I'll keep, well, And we keep going back and wanting to pick some of those things up. Just like when we did the Traveling Light series and we had all the baggage down there. Jesus has broken every chain. Jesus has removed all those things from us. And yet, if you're anything like me, we keep going back and wanting to pick them up again. Because we think we don't have the strength and the power to get through it. And the reality is, folks, we don't. But he does. Because he has done it all for us. We need to say, sin no longer has a grip on me. I have been set free. I am no longer a slave to sin. And I need to live free and bring freedom not only to myself but be an example to others around me that freedom is possible because of Jesus. This is what our daily dying and rising is all about. 
not us becoming good enough that we might live in Christ, but actually understanding we are already there in Christ. He has already done it all. He has provided all that we need through his Holy Spirit. So let's not think I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I am alive in Christ and sin is not going to get hold of me again. I am not going to allow temptation to become an action. I am not going to allow sin to, have, to be a conqueror of me, for we are more than conquerors. Because as Paul says in verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have to take the way of the cross and acknowledge that the world is bigger than we can understand and that God's love is wider and deeper than we can imagine and that we are all connected in this amazing mystery. But also to recognize that as Paul states, we need to calculate or reckon for it isn't a fresh leap of faith into a new kind of life of holiness that we need to look for beyond temptation and sin, but that this is a process of which we are to be invited to be involved in by God himself. Because Paul uses a term here which is used for bookkeeping and calculating accounts. It's getting an answer that you didn't actually have before. But in a sense, it just makes you aware of what is true all along. Adding it up doesn't make it any less or more. I spent eight years working in a bank, and a lot of those times working on the tills. At the end of the day, we had to balance every single day. Some days were great, other days not so great. And I'm sure Ian Higginbotham can, you know, the, the times where branches would sometimes get themselves into huge difficulties because somebody would lose quite a considerable amount of money in the bank somewhere. But the reality is, the amount of money we had in the building, whether we counted it or not, was that amount. We just worked it out so that we understood where we actually were up to. What Paul's trying to say to us is do the maths. It's not about shutting our eyes and believing the impossible, but opening our eyes to the reality of Jesus and his death and his resurrection and your own standing in that. If you are a believer tonight, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And yet, we so often think we have to live up to that. We have to do things in order to be good enough. You already have that standing. So start working it out for yourself. Know who you really are and act accordingly. Don't give in to the voices and the doubts. Resist temptation. Think straight. Hold on to the truth and act on it. Don't offer yourself back to the old ways, but offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are no longer part of that kingdom. 
And if tonight you are struggling with sin, if you are struggling with temptation, if you don't feel you're good enough, none of us are. Because it's all about him and what he's already done. That's why we celebrate Easter. I was thinking about it just the other day, thinking Easter is far crazier than Christmas. Christmas, we celebrate on one day. We have lots of parties and things and activities leading up to it. And then Christmas is done, bang. Easter's a whole lot more. Because on one day, we celebrate or we just come to that point of the cross. And then a couple of days later, we're rejoicing because Jesus has done it all for us. And he has beaten death. And he has risen from the dead. And he now sits on the throne in heaven. And we can be part of his kingdom because of who he is and what he's done. So let me ask you, are you dead or are you alive? Where are you? Are you dead to sin? Are you alive in Christ? Or are you dead in sin and wishing you could be alive in Christ? And Jesus just wants you tonight to come afresh before him. Bring it all to him. But as you do, leave it at the foot of the cross and walk in the power of the resurrection that you might walk out of here alive in Christ. Alive in a resurrection life, which is a future hope lived out today, living in grace and the generous love of God, our Savior. Where are you? Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you tonight because in Jesus you have done it all for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you tonight sit on the throne of heaven. Lord, we pray that we might be dead to sin and alive in you tonight. Lord, I don't know where my brothers and sisters in this place are before you tonight, but you do. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would know that however far we may feel we are from you tonight, you are running out to meet us because you have done it all through Jesus. Lord, I pray for each of us that we could say tonight as we go out of here, I am alive in Christ. I am a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. And Lord, we will each face temptations. We will each face times of difficulties ahead because you promised, Lord, that there would still be trouble. But Lord, I pray that we would already know our new identity, our new status, that we are now part of your kingdom and that the enemy will not be allowed any foothold will not try and snatch us out of that because we are so strong in you. 
Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Not that just that we go out of here feeling good about ourselves and saying, I'm alive in Christ. But that, Lord, that this week, each and every one of us would be an example of your love, your generous love to a world that is crying out. A world that half of this country apparently believes that Jesus rose from the dead but don't actually want necessarily him to be part of their lives. Lord, may we be examples of showing that there is a better way, that being alive in you brings freedom, brings hope, brings peace, and brings about your plans and purposes for them as part of your beautiful creation. We ask all this in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.